1: Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound. And hey, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, and Vance Sommelier, your your Baron of Bruskies, and your Samurai of Spirits. Excited to be here in studio on a Saturday night. I hope you've got. Something great in your glass, got some folks over, or uh, huddled around the radio, or perhaps even on the Stairmaster, because we do have podcasts available. Although, as you know, this is real broadcast radio on 570 KVI. But uh, if you ever miss a show, check out the website at happyhourradio.net. I host 100-plus uh, shows, and uh, it's actually um, my third anniversary this month uh, for the radio show. Kevin and I, my engineer, we've been going together for three years you look great this is so fun I love how it's really a (laughs) 50-50 I have all the fun and he pushes the buttons and makes me look good can you tell yeah, that's the truth. Um today is all about um, uh South Africa and I was I had the pleasure of visiting South Africa just this past October. Was there for 3 weeks on safari um, and on wine tours and uh dinner gustatory tours. Uh flew into uh, Johannesburg and then to Durban and then over to uh Franschhoek and Herm- Herman Hermanus, Stellenbosch and then Cape Town. And uh one of the people who Uh, helped arrange some amazing tours. Um, First of all, shout out to Peggy Reddy, who's my sweetheart. She organized this whole thing, and she spent countless hours getting everything uh, um, planned out to the T, you know, itineraries, that's her her specialty, so lots of love to her. But also, uh, the folks at the Wines of South Africa, Um, this is their uh, industry organization, their trade organization. It's WOSA for short, Wines of South Africa. And one of the cats who helped out his name is Jim Clark, and he's actually on the other side of the country on a Saturday night hanging out. Uh, he's in New York. He is the, uh, uh, the ambassador here, the United States ambassador for the wines of South Africa. So we're going to get right to it. Uh, Jim Clark, hey, welcome to Happy Hour.
2: Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, it,
1: yes, lovely to have you, and again, thank you so much for a, a truly unforgettable, totally memorable, delicious, and swanky VIP tour in South Africa. Um, it's a long ways to get there, but it's well worth the trip. Tell me, um, why don't you start a little history about South Africa in, in terms of the wine world?
2: Well, it's... Uh quite a long history actually we're coming up in fact tomorrow will be the uh, 358th anniversary of uh, winemaking in South Africa um, wow. we actually know the birthday of the industry because the, uh, the well the commander of the colony when they, the Dutch arrived in 1652 and in 1659 uh, he wrote in his uh, diary that uh, on Groundhog Day uh, today praise be to God wine was made for the first time from Cape Grapes
1: wow interesting. So yep. it must have fermented finally in, and it's coming out in February they were <laughs> like,
2: hey, this is good. Well, I mean, actually, that's probably... No, because the, for them, the harvest... Oh! ...that we right the middle of harvest. You're, you're thinking I, like a Northern
1: Hemisphere <laughs> person. <laughs> I am. My head is so far up my north, it's crazy. That's too funny. I just said that, and I'm like, God, and I'm supposed to meet it. Oh, my goodness. That's right, because it was October, and it was getting warm. Um, gosh, this is so funny. I mean, you leave, you leave that place, you leave the South, and all of a sudden, it's all about us. I get why America is despised sometimes. <laughs> Forgive me. All right, so, yeah, it's harvest time, down in February, and uh, this happened three hundred and fifty years ago? Yep,
2: yeah, sixteen fifty nine. And um originally the idea was just to make wine for sailors who were on their way to the Far East, because this was the um the maritime spice route where by whereby the uh well first the Portuguese but then in this case the Dutch were going to get uh spices and what have you from um from Southeast Asia. But um by the late uh eighteenth century you were finding that um, there was a particular region in South Africa, which we're going to taste one of their wines, I think, a bit later, uh, from Constantia. And this wine was a sweet wine made from Muscat, and it became so highly coveted in Europe that we actually know that um, Napoleon was a huge fan of it. Uh, Jane Austen wrote about it. Baudelaire wrote about it. So um, it's amazing to think that... um, Uh, Like a Frenchman like Napoleon, who I believe in his diaries, he mentions Chambertin, so a Grand Cru Burgundy. Yes. He mentions Champagne, which is obviously Champagne, and he mentions Constantia. So um, it was in very good company as far as how highly uh, regarded it was.
1: Wow, wow. That's amazing. Um, now, when we think about South Africa, obviously there, there's a certain Nelson Mandela aspect and, of course, apartheid and uh, uh, the indigenous population. But when we think about the colonization and uh, and how the, the country has grown, for a long time, winemaking was subject to um, farmers, right? It was all about the, the French who came over to help make the wine? Um,
2: well, yeah, a lot of the original input was... Um uh, well, obviously, the Dutch at first, though they're not known as winemakers, but the about 150 or 200 uh, French Huguenots arrived in 1688. And um, they were, fleeing, they were uh, fleeing persecution in France. And the Dutch, uh, being Protestants themselves, said, Oh, you know, you're, you're welcome to stay here. In fact, well, here's this valley. Um, why don't you, why don't you French people settle there? And nowadays, that's a, a place called Franschhoek, which means in Afrikaans, French corner. And you see it in some of the uh, names of uh, some of the producers and some of the family names there. Uh, we're actually going, I think we're, we've got Dukunutzkluf, which is obviously not French, but then Chamonix, which is uh, a name of French origin um but those are both from the Franschhoek Valley that we we're, we're going to be tasting in a bit.
1: An amazing place. Um you know when we think of South Africa, I think people think it's hot. And obviously it is warm because we're down there uh on the tip of the African continent. Uh but of course it's it's surrounded uh well what three-fourths or two-thirds by water it seems.
2: Well, especially for the for the for wine growing purposes because we're talking about the the Western Cape. So this is the the southwest corner of of Africa. And here you've got currents that are coming um, counterclockwise. So that means the currents that are hitting the coast are coming from Antarctica, basically. And if, you, if you've ever uh, gone to the beach in New York in summer, the water is relatively warm. You don't need a wetsuit and this sort of thing. Whereas I lived in Seattle for a few years, and I know if you went in the water there, you um, <laughs> probably wanted a wetsuit and probably weren't going to be in there for too long. So it's, that's that Alaskan current coming from Coming from the pole in South Africa, it's from the South Pole, but it's the same same thing, where it really cools off um, the the well the water, and with that the winds that carry the the air into the vineyards.
1: Interesting. So they actually have a, a moderated temperature, so it's not too hot and. Who knew that South Africa could really produce world-class grapes? I think when you think about the history, um, a lot of times sweet wines don't get the benefit of them thinking that okay, well, you know, you, all you have to do is dry them or you, you use botrytis and it happens. But it, it takes a lot to make a great sweet wine because so much can go wrong. At the same time, um, people find that dry wines, since most people don't drink sweet wines anymore, that dry wines are truly the uh, the, the upper echelon of quality.
2: Well, well, nowadays certainly. I mean, when we talk about sweet dessert wines like um, well, like Sotan or like Constantia, um, or at least like Constantia was back in the day. You know, we're not talking about these mildly sweet wines that are kind of the the palliative jug wines of, of of today. So, yeah, definitely, when we talk about premium wines now, we talk about dry wines, and that's the bulk of South Africa's production. There, there are a couple dessert wines. Well, there's probably more than there are in the U.S. relatively, but. In any case, there's tons of dry wines, and ranging because of those conditions where if you're by the coast, you've got those breezes and you're quite cool, or if you're inland, it can be quite warm. It comes in quite a wide range of styles. It's very hard to pin down South Africa onto one grape or one, um, one kind of type of line.
1: I agree. I agree. But what we'll see here in the United States, I would see there's some sparkling wine. We see some whites and some reds and Chenin Blanc, Steen, as it's known. Uh, and, of course, the dessert wines, uh, you know, I've always been prized around the world for their their longevity with the acidity and the sweetness as, as being uh, um, uh, preservatives. But um, So when I had the opportunity to go there, it's really a, a, a large country, but the topography there for wine country was so... Unique. Tell us about that topography, like in French, Chuck.
2: Well, it's um, it's very, very old mountains, actually, but still, you know, relatively high and very dramatic. Um, what happened was way back when South America was separating away from Africa. Um, it actually kind of turned, and if you can imagine, kind of Patagonia kicking the south edge of of Africa as it leaves. That's basically what happened, and it put up these huge mountains. Uh, about five hundred million years ago, and they 've been eroding ever since so you have these very old soils where there 's not much organic matter in them um mostly sand well either sandstone or decomposed granite and those alluvial fans around those mountains are where most of the best vineyards are so like French Hook is a relatively narrow valley, and there 's vineyards on on the floor but what you know the the real quality is on is on those slopes where you get that great drainage and um, great exposure either facing. Um, north toward the equator where you'd probably plant your, um, your reds where you're gonna get more sunlight. <laughs> right. Or the other way around, uh, facing south if you want to plant a, a cooler climate variety.
1: Um, and what is dramatic is that not only do these mountains just appear, but to have the vineyards um, right next to it, to abut them on on the green slope, but then they just shoot out of the ground and straight up. It's 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 amazing to see. It's it's out of uh, uh, that trilogy that Tolkien wrote, uh, <laughs> Lord of the Rings, or something like that.
2: Yeah, it's it's. I, I think for for pure kind of natural dramatic beauty there are you know there are French villages that are more uh kind of twee and delicate, but for natural beauty, I think uh South Africa might might take the cake
1: i agree it it was phenomenal, and not only was the landscape beautiful, of course the mountains and the vineyards, but t- to recognize that these uh these wine chateaus, these wine houses these domains what we'll call them wine farms right Isn't that what they call them there in South Africa they like to call them wine farms yep yeah um it's not your little red uh red farmhouse that's out in the back with horses. These
2: are grand estates yeah, definitely there's a, uh some of the estates uh, you know uh for instance for in Ru- example Rustenburg goes back to uh sixteen eighty two uh that was rebought and renamed in nineteen ninety three but the the estate is actually goes back to seventeen seventy six so it's as old as our country
1: yes there in there's quite a, a lot of history there um and uh also it's almost as if although it was called french corner there there seemed to be a lot less Frenchness about it i think is is there something that happened that was just sort of this uh um i call it osmosis or a, uh, a homogenization of, of of cultures
2: well there's definitely um quite a quite a bit of mixing i, I think you'd aside from some of the names you'd be hard pressed to find something that really seem particularly French uh, down there now, but um, you definitely see um, the the Afrikaner, which is the Dutch descent, and the English cultures kind of have slightly different different characters, but they do mix together very much. And of course, then you have um, all, all the local population, which are becoming more and more, well, they've always been involved in the wine industry, but now they're becoming involved more at the uh, upper levels uh, Right, it's they only, have some it's programs. It's definitely a challenge, but uh, they're working on it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know, to have such a long history of, of apartheid where they're separate. Um, what what really struck me, and being obviously we have our own issues in in the United States about uh, differences of color and class, um, but to see how happy people were, um, just to see that these these aren't these. With their sometimes you feel like their people are portrayed um, of a lesser culture because they they have different dress, different dances, different traditions and rituals. But really, everybody was as as open and honest and forthright and genuinely happy and happy to share. I thought that was really cool. They they it wasn't like you're a foreigner. It's like wow, hey, this is who I am and this is what I've got. So that was very very exciting and engaging.
2: I'm, I'm. I'm glad you glad that's you had that experience. I, I agree. I I think there's um, when you look at the the history and the, you look at the end of apartheid and how it happened. Remember, this was not a a, a violent ending. This the, the the they all decided that this is what needed to be done and this was the right thing to do and they did it together. And I mean, obviously, there's tensions and things, but when you look at say the truth and reconciliation um, process that they went through and There was no, uh, without you know, undue violence or anything like that. Compared to what other happens in other countries in Africa and around the world, I think that really speaks to the character of the people in that regard.
1: Yeah, it was is fantastic, and just to know that. So I've got Jim Clark, who is the ambassador for wines of South Africa, here online. And we come back from this break. uh, We're going to bring on Samantha Agee, who is with AMB Imports, and we're going to start tasting some South African wine. So stick around, folks. Be right back on Happy Hour Radio.
0: Northwest Original. Lars Larson, live, weekdays noon to three. Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI, want to know weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan.
1: Hey, happy Saturday night and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Um, I'm so fortunate to uh, reconnect with. Jim Clark, who is the ambassador for wines of South Africa. I get to think about the fabulous three week trip I had in October through November which, uh, you know silly me, you got to remember that in October, November, that's their springtime and we're up here in Seattle, of course it's our fall Hey Jim, we were just talking about uh, uh, the land, apartheid and how the place is, is so welcoming. Um, let's go back to the wine areas and I understand that like Washington State, we there are a bunch of different regions for wine. Let's talk about that.
2: Yeah, you know, well, I think one way to think of it is there's kind of a, these classic regions that have been, you know, with this kind of long history we've been talking about, like Franschhoek and Stellenbosch, um, Constantia. And then, you know, at, after the end of apartheid, so starting in the earlier mid-90s, um, you started the, the kind of the regulations changed. So winemakers started exploring what we call the Cape South Coast. I know you went to Armanis, which is down as part of this region. And it's an area that it's a little bit more they have lower yields because it's cooler they grow different grapes and there's a little bit more disease pressure, but you can get a whole different set of styles and character out of wines. So you have those no those new regions um, Pema and Arda would be one that, uh, that's where um, the one next to Armanis. Elgin is another it used to be an apple growing region, so that's actually something it shares in common with uh, Washington state though so it's uh, sure. quite a bit cooler in Elgin. and then around two thousand seven two thousand eight there were these kind of outlying regions that had been kind of neglected or were kind of producing, you know, lower quality wine or maybe they were being used for brandy production. And these young producers primarily started looking around out there and they said, actually, these vineyards are actually very interesting. There are lots of old vines, things like that. And it really spurred this kind of new rediscovery of these regions. Um, Swartland is probably the most famous example now. Robertson is definitely one. So that's kind of created this whole new place where, Young winemakers, and if we don't have a lot of money, can find great vineyards and really make some great boutique wines that's kind of then re-inspiring some of the other uh, parts of the country as well.
1: How many different areas are there in total? Uh, so we have a bunch of wards, or the larger is the geo, the geographical area, then you've got the ward, then the district? I forget.
2: So we have, we have uh, regions, uh, regions, districts, and wards.
1: Okay, so, so ward is the uh, smallest. Wards, are the, wards
2: are the smallest. So wards are the smallest. And uh, to be honest, I think there's about 170. But unfortunately, <laughs> one of the one of the challenges is you don't see many of them on labels because, unlike in um, say U.S. law, if you want to use a what we call a wine of origin designation, the grapes have to come 100 percent from that region. Right. So if you borrow 2 percent from the neighboring region, you're de- declassifying from the ward up, probably up to the district or something like that
1: well so, they they mean uh, well i'm sure in the future that that will 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 produce some exactly. some world class examples um so uh one of my i mean i had the chance and it's never long enough to visit uh because the food was fantastic the the energy um from these winemakers were there were so many youthful winemakers i felt like this was uh just to, to, ha- to see such young people with this experience already and also with the pressure of taking on the legacy that was created because some of these wineries are, are been there for for many many decades producing great wine and now we have this new this new culture this this new breed of winemaker coming up
2: uh totally i mean i mentioned like some of those guys up in swartland but you also have i mean the The guys they went to school with are taking over maybe a family property back in Stellenbosch, too. For example, um, I mentioned Rustenburg earlier. Property goes back to 1682. Well, Murray Barlow, who's kind of of that generation, recently, recently took over the winemaking at the family estate. And he went to school with these guys who were doing these boutique things, and he's bringing that same mentality um, into the winery there and it's really um, boosting up their quality it's really exciting to see it is
1: and the country has taken it seriously so there is a uh, university where people can learn the, the wine trade
2: yep uh, Stellenbosch University is where most of the winemakers do their, their training and then right outside Stellenbosch is Elsenburg Viticultural School which is where um, many of the viticulturists learn their, uh, learn their trade
1: I love it so uh, if people want to learn more about uh, wines of South Africa do you have a website that they can go check into
2: Uh, We do. I think um, you can do the WOSA.us, or I think right now the the better one for if you really want to learn about the wines rather than what we're doing here in the U.S. market is the WOSA.co.za. All right. So that's our our head office's website, and there, if you go to the multimedia section, there, there's tons of educational materials. You can you can geek out if you want to.
1: Yeah, and I got to say, um, I, I was totally blown away by everything about South Africa, and especially how delicious and how, how high quality the wines are. And it's a perfect segue because I want to introduce uh, Samantha Aj, who's a AG, who's a longtime wine professional here in Seattle. Samantha, welcome to Happy Hour.
3: Thank you very much for having me.
1: So you, um, a purveyor in the wine industry, you actually have some South African wine wines in your portfolio.
3: I do. We started out our company doing nothing but South African wines and we're still really passionate about it. That was
1: like 12 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. I was trying to remember in my mind. Well, it
3: Might even be 15, but that makes me feel old. So. <laughs> no, I think it's probably
1: close to that. I've got that gap when I left the club. And um, well, what drew what drew you to South African wines, other than the fact that probably no one else had them? But had you traveled there?
3: I have traveled there a couple of times, and if you go there, you will fall in love with it. It has to be one of the most beautiful places on earth, and the wine has such an up and coming quality to it. And so when I tasted the wines and they weren't available when I came back, I thought, hey, I can do this. This will be great.
1: <laughs> okay. And how did you find the wines? Did you make some contacts while you were there? Or did you reach out to a gentleman like Jim Clark in New York? or
3: I actually went to a wine store in South Africa and I said, hey, I want to start bringing some of these into the United States. Where do you think I should start? And they directed me to some importers and... I've been going ever since. What
1: town was this in? In Cape Town. In Cape Town. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and that's a very vibrant place and uh, uh, a very old place, of course. And there's lots of history there with Jim Stellen, who I think it was the name who started a Stellenbosch down the road. Um, so Jim Clark, um, we're going to taste some wines. Uh, Samantha, which wine is the first wine we're going to taste?
3: So the first time, the first wine we're going to taste is the Con- Constantia Glen Sauvignon Blanc 2015. And for me, what's really special about South Africa is the wines are kind of halfway between Old World wines and halfway between New World wines. And so when I taste this wine, I really get, you know, um, a classic Bordeaux Blanc, a really delicious. It has a little bit of Semillon blended into it. And so it's kind of halfway between what you would have in New Zealand or here in Washington when you taste it.
1: All right. And uh, Jim Clark, what can you tell us about Constantia Glen?
2: Um, they're actually one of the, the
3: newer properties in the Constantia region.
2: So there's about nine producers in Constantia. Five of them, I believe, are part of the, that original estate that was famous back in the 18, uh, 17, and 1800s. Um, this one is a little bit further up the hill from the original estate. And they've got a really interesting situation because there's a little gap in the mountainside behind them. And that means, especially at the the top of their estate, they get a little bit more afternoon sunlight because the sun goes over the hill. But for them, it goes over the hill a little bit later than it does for the other estates, so they get a little bit extra Uh. ripening time. I think I see it more in their reds, but you see it also even in the their Sauvignon Blanc because it does have a little bit more of that weight and that Bordeaux uh, white Bordeaux sort of style, as uh, Samantha was saying.
1: Samantha, which vintage is this for Constantia Glen Sauvignon Blanc?
3: This is the 2015 vintage.
1: Okay, so that was harvested in February, (laughs) (laughs) And then bottled, and, um, you know, I just took a taste of this, and you're right. So when we talk about old world meets new world, the benefits of new world are, first of all, clean winemaking and uh, also ripeness of fruit. But the benefits of old world are the structure and longevity of a wine. So we need both of those. It's really harmonious. It's like uh, like having... uh, uh, Amorasian kid, like I, <laughs> it's just almost <laughs> so handsome and so But I'm tasting this. You're right. This wine has a lot of richness. It has a medium, just a little over medium bodied weight. It has some polish on it. And Sauvignon Blanc has never been my favorite because I think it's, it's, for me, it's always too green and grassy. But this has a, a great, a hint of tropical, but also it's just a very subdued greenness. And I think that's very, very approachable.
3: I agree. I think it's a beautiful wine, and it pairs well with a lot of different foods. They're coastal and we're coastal, so I think a lot of the wines pair really well with Seattle foods, so it's a nice place to be drinking South African wine.
1: And um, a bottle like this, uh, one of the things I found, Jim Clark, and you obviously know this, we all know this, that uh, the the price of wine in South Africa is outrageously inexpensive.
2: Yes. It's... Um uh, I, I think part of it is, is a good, so like old world, new world. It is a little bit of that old world attitude where wine should be something you can have in a more everyday basis. Um, but then, of course, for us it's there's a wonderful exchange rate right now. <laughs> oh, yes. So um, so that really helps a lot.
1: Oh, It was amazing. I mean, I could go in a restaurant and have a, a world-class bottle of sparkling wine, which we didn't bring any today, but those wines are phenomenal, and they were $15 for a bottle. I mean, that's part mm-hmm. of the, the strength of the exchange we of course. But the fact is that they weren't, that's not where their profit center was. It was really just about, the, their livelihood wasn't based on it. I, I guess they must not have, uh, you know, I think United States can be too litigious, and everyone gets paid. To, <laughs> the <laughs> last person to get paid is the restaurant and the other, the lawyers get paid. Um, but so fun. Uh, uh, Samantha, tease the other two wines you have to taste for us today.
3: Okay, I have two more wines. The next one is a Chamonix Chardonnay, and Chamonix is really, it's a Frantuck winery. It's an up-and-coming winery, so I think it demonstrates that, and it is really a new-world Chardonnay. I think it's delicious. I think you're going to like it, Christopher. And then the next wine is the Buchenhutskluf Syrah. And Buchenhutskloof is one of the wineries that has the biggest reputation in South Africa. They've been making great wines for a while.
1: Love it. Hold on to that thought. So Jim Clark and Samantha Ag, we're going to join you right back after this uh, little commercial break on Happy Hour Radio.
0: Big names, big news, Sean Hannity, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia, Christopher Chan.
1: Oh, that's me. Happy Saturday night on Happy Hour Radio. Time for round three. I got three glasses of wine and three bottles of wine that uh, makes for a great party. Uh, with my cool friends, uh, Jim Clark, who is the ambassador of, uh, wines of South Africa. He's, uh, in New York on the phone hanging out. And Samantha Agee is in studio tonight. Uh, she brought in some fantastic wines. The first was the, uh, Constantia Glen Sauvignon Blanc, a blend of New World, Old World, nice, ripe, polished. And now we have, um, a Chardonnay. And this one's called Chamonix, but if you were to, uh, if you didn't take French, you'd call it Chamonix. C h uh, a m o n i x, and uh, this this property is uh, in.
3: This property is in Hook and Gottfried Mok is one of the up and coming winemakers, and he has he's really who put Chamonix on the map. And oddly, he's just moved to Buchenhoutskloof. So,
1: yes, that <laughs> gentleman, Jim, tell us about that because this this was a gentleman who was really highly uh, revered in the winemaking industry over there, and what happened.
2: Well, uh, as far as his Is that living, the right or? guy? Yeah, yeah.
1: He just said he's he's ready to do something on his own. or what, what? I'm trying to get
2: my... Uh, no I he, mis- Moving to, to Buchan-Hoodscliff, I'm trying to remember the name of the gentleman who was taking over who was working under him for years at Chamonix. But in any case, he really took what had been a, a, a property with great vineyards that was a little bit uh, kind of unfocused and really brought them uh, to really a really a great point quality-wise, both with their Chardonnay and then also Pinot Noir. these Burgundian varieties that we normally would think would be a little... Uh, unhappy in France because it might be a little bit too warm, but with their vineyards on, again on those south-facing hillsides, they can really do great things with uh, with those two grapes. That, so I got to say and they've got some other things planted too.
1: They do, and it was quite. A, I, I had the pleasure of, of going there, and the winemaker is such a young man. They had this great little kitchen next door. The only challenge was all those fantastic African spices were wafting through the air, and they're so potent and pungent and deliciously smelling that it almost it was fighting with the wine. But we, um, Peg and I, walked up there. It was a nice. Nice long walk, and, and you just go up this gradual slope, and and it's an old building. We went down into the cellar and the winemaking area, and then we talked about the vineyards. And the vineyards, he had some uh, some vineyards that were like four hundred meters of elevation, which was just at the very very top of the place you could plant next to those mountains. That's it was, right. It's true. So let's try this wine. This is Chamonix Chardonnay two thousand and.
3: This is the two thousand and fourteen, and it is. Um, Forty percent new French oak and then sixty percent more neutral oak.
1: hmm I tasted this with him at the uh, at the winery and it was great because he also brought out the fifteen, so you could taste the the variety, uh, the vintage differences. But such a rich wine, but also has that nice elegance that you, you find in white Burgundy.
3: Absolutely, and I think if you enjoy, you know, a lot of winemakers are going with unoaked and. Neutral Oak Chardonnays, which I love they're a lot of fun, Chablis. but if you miss your classic Chardonnay, this is the wine for you.
1: yeah, it's not overly okay. I know that we can um sometimes get hit over the head of the two by four, but um some people love the rombauers of the world, which uh <laughs> are certainly have their place on wine lists, and um sometimes people can really find their enjoyment or or understand the palate when they've got this this vanilla texture and some butter. Um, how old is this estate, Jim?
2: Uh I'm not honest, I'm not sure. Uh, I know that it's been planted for quite some time, but I don't know their full history.
1: Yeah, but it was a cute little place and uh, of course yeah. all these uh f- wine farms, they have restaurants. I mean, what's up with that?
2: Well, uh for one thing, I mean, compared to say many California regions and I'm not sure for Washington, but for example, N- Napa, you're not allowed to have a operating restaurant on site. Oh, and um, go figure. So it's, so, it's a matter of regulations whereas Um, South Africa restaurants are allowed And in fact, for for wine tourism The the industry is very well set up I mean, many restaurants Many wineries have restaurants They usually have other facilities They'll have a very nice tasting room Wine tourism is very popular among South Africans And among visitors So they're really well prepared for it Uh,
1: And I agree. I I would urge everybody to save up and figure it out, how to get there and spend as much time as you can. Tell me what's the best month. We went in October, and I thought it was just lovely, very pleasant. Um, It can get warm, but I love the sun, so not a problem for me. Jim, when's a good time to go to visit South Africa?
2: Uh, I really like going in their springtime, so that's September, October, getting into November period. Um, I've been in December and, and January, and it can get a little bit hot. It kind of depends, I guess, what you like. And then, obviously, harvest time is always a great time. Yeah. So the only thing I'd avoid would be our summertime. That July and August, you're likely to get very windy and probably kind of drizzly, rainy sort of situation happening. So well,
1: Samantha we're never leaving Seattle when it's July and August, are we? <laughs>
3: no, I don't think so. <laughs>
1: we wait for those. We we sit around in these gloomy great days. Um, you know, I really recommend the spring because if you could do have a chance to take a safari, the animals are actually pretty active and they're getting a little frisky, which uh, is another story I saw. I saw lions mating.
3: That is amazing. That was amazing. Oh, wow.
1: I know. I got it on video. <laughs> you do. Um, this wasn't, uh, what's his name? Aslan. This is a different one. Um, all right. So, this is Chamonix Chardonnay, uh, Chardonnay 2014. It's beautiful. I, I love the fact that it's also screw top, so it's easy access. And um, what are the prices of these wines typically at a store? And where can we find some of these South African wines, Samantha?
3: So, you can find. A couple different places in Seattle have really great South African sections. One is Compass up in Anacortis. Yes,
1: Doug Charles. Doug
3: Charles is a huge supporter of South African wines. And then Esquin and McCarthy Shearing, Ravenna, and Queen Anne are both they both have been great supporters of South African wine.
1: Yeah, I, I encourage folks to, to try it out. Um, still great values, and there's a lot of history there, so when you think about what really makes a wine cool is that there's some stories, some some background. Um, we have a red wine, and uh, do we t- tell me what the prices
3: you said? So the price of the Sauv Blanc is right around 20 and the price of the Chamonix Chardonnay is going to be more in the zone of $25, and then the Buchenhutskloof Syrah is going to be a slurge more in the vicinity of $70. But, you know, as you were saying before, there are some absolutely amazing wine values coming from South Africa. If you want to have like a Tuesday night dinner, you might want to check out the the entire line of Man, but particularly Man Chenin Blanc is really delicious. And that is going to be under $10.
1: Wow. Well it's a lot more expensive to get there. And yes get back it is than to get a bottle of wine. Alright, so Jim, tell me about uh this name and I laugh because my I'm part Dutch, my grandfather is full Dutch and the uh, Book and and I can just hear it in my mind. How do you say it?
2: Uh, uh And <laughs> okay. it means um Cape Cape Beechwood Canyon. Um so if you've got the label in front of you, you'll see there's they each uh, wine they do has a little chair. It's kind of a traditional antique-looking chair done in a different style that was common in the Cape historically. And Cape Beach was their preferred wood for a lot of furniture making back back in the day.
1: Oh, interesting. And
2: uh, there was a lot of it in this, this end of the valley um, historically.
1: Um, when you say valley, too, uh, we mentioned uh, several of the places, obviously, uh, Swartland and R- Robertson and... Uh, um French Shook Stellenbosch and then uh, Hermanus. Hermanus is this area which is really a, a beachside sea town which has, again, the hills. You go up to elevation to find the vineyards, but this is where all those humpback whales come to mate uh, regularly on their trip, um, you know, from, well, wherever they're coming from. Um, <laughs> but it was such a very maritime climate. It reminded me of Seattle, and to think that we could have vineyards that were so high quality, uh, so close to the water, it really blew me away. Um, this particular wine, Samantha, this has got a very aromatic nose, it's um, very, it reminds me of Cabernet Franc or, I don't know what I'm drinking here yet.
3: So this is a, Mark Kent has been leading the team there for a really long time and this is really a classic example of where New World and Old World can meet. Because Mark Kent has brought in a lot of concrete tanks, and then he ages his wines in these enormous European-style vats instead of barrels, so you're not going to be overwhelmed with that. But at the same time, he is constantly experimenting and doing new things. So 60% of this wine that he's been making for a long time has been switched to vineyards in the Swartland, and it comes from Porcelainberg and goldmine vineyards. And so... He is able to adopt all the things he loves about the old world, but he can do all the experimenting that you really can't do in the old world. So it's a really fun place to drink wine.
1: It's delicious. It's got a lot of character to it, but it's also polished. Um, it, how, Jim, How? what's the age of this vineyard, or excuse me, a wine property, wine farm?
2: Well, the, it's been a wine farm since 1776. Yeah. Uh, the current, it got a little bit, um, from what I understand, a bit dilapidated in the. In the 1970s or 80s and then the current owners bought in
1: 1993 and started redeveloping it. Wow, 1776 yep. is the, the bicentennial of, of wines. Yep. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, we're going to talk more about this wine. We're going to take a quick little break but if if uh, the listeners want to go out there, again it's um, wosa.co.za so Z A dot dot is Zebra Alpha and that's a website that is, is actually takes you to the South Africa um, with lots of of information and there's also one uh, wosa.us is that right Jim that's right okay great so check it out we'll take this break you can all check your smartphones and get on the, the web page but we'll be right back with Samantha AG from A and B Imports and Jim Clark with the wines of South Africa.
0: Back and he's in charge. Kirby Wilbur, live and local weekdays nine to noon. Talk radio five seventy KVI. KVI want to know weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan.
1: Oh, we're going round and round, lots of rounds. Hey, it's our fourth and final segment, and uh, I'm really enjoying uh, reminiscing about South Africa. Um, There's fantastic wines, food, people, and scenery. Uh, The wine farms have nothing to do with farms, there are these grand estates with restaurants and and beautiful wines and cellars. Um, And Samantha Agee with A&B Imports, uh, you were almost like the first person in Seattle to be actually doing all uh, South African wines.
3: Yeah, I think people thought I was pretty crazy. <laughs>
1: yeah, I remember it was like wow, because you know we're still Washington was still burgeoning, and we're like, well, what about us? And you know to think about all those wines, and at the same time, they they were still struggling to find the quality that Absolutely. we were we were used to. Um, that has since changed and development, and this youthful movement. Of course, the wine universities and the viticultural schools have helped. You poured this. Um, how do you say it again? Bukenhutskluf Syrah. Buken <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a Swedish or Norwegian. I'm probably doing it wrong. Doing my <laughs> my Dutch heritage injustice. But this is a Syrah, and um, you're right on on I smelled all these great aromatics. Um singing, gosh. Uh, it's definitely dark blue and purple fruit. Um, it's well balanced. You get that concrete because it's not there's no new oak on this wine. It's all very fruit f- fruit driven, but also has structure. Um, what was the first grape planted in uh, South Africa, Jim?
2: They believe that the, the Dutch or the very early French bought three grapes um, Semillon, uh, Chenin Blanc, and Muscat. Um, Interesting. But it's hard to tell because they knew them all by the Dutch names, there was some confusion. Uh, it was only until the it was in the early 1960s that they realized that what they were calling Steen was Chenin Blanc, for example.
1: Uh, well, it's interesting because a lot of that happens when you've got so several languages going on. It's like the white elephant thing. <laughs>
3: <I learned laughs> That's not
2: it's
1: uh, it's not a white elephant. It just this is how it sounded like at, at the end of the day. All right. So, um, how many South African wines are you purveying here in Seattle, Samantha?
3: Oh, I probably have about 50 different South African wines. Um, they're absolutely phenomenal. I think part of the reason that they haven't gotten traction the way maybe Argentina is is because what they do is so broad. You can't yes. really say, oh, they're all about Chenin Blanc and move on. lot back, right? Yeah, exactly. They yeah. have a lot going on.
1: And, and the quality, of, I would say, first of all, you want to fall in love with South African wines, get some sparkling wine, because at that point... You're going to be happy and go, hey, if they can do this with wine, because sparkling wine, great sparkling wine is difficult, folks. I mean, I'm not talking about Prosecco. (laughs) No offense, Italy. Um, But the the wines are phenomenal, and then you get the great whites and, of course, these fantastic reds. And Pinotage is one that is much maligned because of um, this interesting grape that uh, Dr. Herbold, who was it? Who made Pinotage, Jim?
2: Uh, Abraham Perold. was Perold, uh, yeah, in 1925.
1: Yeah. That's right. All right. So I got to remember all this trivia stuff when I play wine Jeopardy. Um, so fun. So this is a Syrah from Buchen Absolutely. And uh, what does this cost?
3: So this would probably be in the range of seventy dollars, which is one of the highest end ranges. For South Africa, but it is an absolutely fantastic splurge, and if you happen to find it, you'll love it.
1: Excellent. Well, um, Jim, I would say that uh, when are you coming to Seattle next?
2: Uh, well. Uh- Coming to the Seattle Summit, I think would be our next uh,
3: visit in July.
2: So.
1: July ninth to eleventh for the SOM Summit, the International Wine and Spirit right. Symposium. So excited to have the wine, in South Africa. I truly am. After that, um, that three month—three oh. months, three, month. <laughs> three <laughs> week visit. It was um, to fall in love with all the animals, to fall in love with the people, the culture, the colors, the flavors, the smells, and the scenery. And then to have the wine be this great and. So affordable. I mean, heck, I love the heck out of Chambartan, um but I can't afford that just because mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm I'm just a poor radio host here. <laughs> <laughs> but South African wines has all these great stories and uh, um, such a wonderful place. Um, again, if you want to go visit South Africa, there's an entity here in Seattle that's. Uh, South Africa Made Easy and this woman helped uh, us put this itinerary together it's fantastic, again you can go to the websites the uh, Wines of South Africa WOSA, W-O-S-A dot U-S um, and Jim Clark's got some information there Um, otherwise, uh, are there any books that you might recommend Jim for people who are like really, you know, like some friends of mine who need to get nitty gritty? Ooh,
2: um, you know Well, if you can get your hands on it, it's not published here, but there's something called the Platter Guide, which is published every year.
1: Yes, the Platter Guide. And,
2: um, you know, some of the importers bring it in, and that is just a succinct list of who's doing what and where and and really very up-to-date. There's also um, Tim James, who uh, writes for the World of Fine Wine and some other places. Master Uh, of Wine, wine right? The new South Africa.
1: Yes, Love it. Hey, Jim Clark, thanks so much for allowing me to reminisce about South Africa and and spreading the gospel of uh, S.A. S.A. Appreciate My it. pleasure. Thanks for having All me. All right. And Smith A. G. Hey, this is great. we we'll look forward to tasting some more South African wines. We'll get you back on the show because I really want to I'm an evangelist for South Africa. Very cool. All right. Thanks so much for sharing these fantastic wines. And folks, um, if you're out there, we've got some some tastings coming up. Taste Washington's coming up in March. And of course, check out SomSummit.com. You'll have a chance to do some international wine tasting, some education, and of course you'll be able to dig into some South African wines as well. Hey, remember folks when you're out there, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers.